another pot of coffee is brewing. My fifth cup is almost finished. So that means it's time for another episode of Not Before Coffee, New Year's Eve edition. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and very honest. In less than 24 hours, if you're listening to this on release day, we're going to be saying farewell to probably the worst year that many of us have experienced in our lifetime. I have to be honest though, I have lived through worse experiences than being stuck at home, unable to go anywhere, and I wouldn't wish those on anyone. It's been a year of ups and downs in media and in real life, good films and bad, amazing books and disappointing ones, strange and wonderful TV shows and incredibly dreadful ones. So today my plan is to go back through the last year and my entertainment highs and lows or as many of them as I can fit in in the time I have decided to set aside for recording on the night before New Year's Eve. As we all know only too well, it's not been a great year for mental health. Whether you previously had problems or not, the changes in our way of life have hit everyone really hard. And with that, I am going to be looking to the future in this episode, because I know that I need to start focusing on the good to come rather than focusing on the shockingly shitty that we are currently living through. On Boxing Day in the UK, my region descended into no gym, no hairdresser, no non-essential shop chaos again, courtesy of that virus. I'm just going to call the C word because I am so sick of hearing it. Now they are talking about possibly keeping schools closed and extending this so-called tier four even further. But this is a time for review and reflection of the better things to come out of this year, though there will be a mention of a few clunkers I have been lucky enough to see. The beginning of the year looked so promising. No joke, I started this year with logging on to Goodreads, setting myself a target and saying, this is the year that I am going to be doing stuff for myself. I joined a gym. I'd started to look at healthier food styles and choices. I had booked myself in for a proper checkup at the doctor's. You name it, I'd done it. And there were films that I wanted to see coming out, including things like Black Widow and, to a certain extent, The Eternals. And of course, we had the promise of Disney Plus coming in March, which I really was excited about. And I'm happy to say I actually have the service. The sad thing is that I literally only made it to the cinema twice this year. And both of those times were right at the beginning of the year obviously, in February. To be honest, I have to be really eager and keen to see something in order to go to the cinema because I'm not hugely keen on being around hundreds of strangers, even when I know I'm not going to be talking to them. So what did the very beginning of the year look like to me? On my birthday, which is in February, I went and saw Doolittle. Okay, I really like Robert Downey Jr., not only in the MCU, he's been in a few good films such as Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Only You, and even his tiny, really tiny role in Chef, which I heartily recommend you see if you haven't, was fantastic. However, what was he thinking would do little? There was a great voice cast in this, including Tom Holland, 
but the Welsh-Scottish accent thing that Downey had going. And the plot, it was just lacking. Um, okay, it was lacking something and I cannot identify what. It was a fun way to spend just over 100 minutes, but it's not something I will be going out of my way to see again. I had hope that the film was going to be one I could watch and really enjoy, but I didn't come to this, come out of the cinema feeling any more than, oh well, that was different, I guess. I, I, <laughs> having read the reviews, I can see I wasn't alone, as 13% is the wonderful score it got on Rotten Tomatoes. In fact, I probably personally have less of a negative view than they do. February was very nearly over when I saw that my local cinema had a special weekend preview on the 29th of February of Onward. I'd heard about it and the adverts, I thought, looked quite funny, so why not? I mean, I wasn't doing anything else. My weekends are reading, cleaning and crochet. So much fun. Yes, I know I sound like I'm 90. So I thought, why not? I headed to the cinema and was really happy to find that as I was booking a single ticket, there were seats available. It was pretty crowded, to be fair. I don't ever remember crying so much and for so long at when, I went and, when I've been to see a film. There were so many scenes in Onward that made my heart crack just a little bit more. Watching as Ian was listening to the recordings of his dad and started filling in the short gaps as as they spoke, so he had a conversation. I don't even remember what my dad sounds like, and it was that thought which started the tears when I watched that scene. The whole film for me was one great big, no joke, tear fest, but it was probably one I needed because tears can be therapeutic, they are cathartic, and you do sometimes need to cry. I know it wasn't received as favourably as other Pixar films that came before it and the one that's come after it, but for me it is one I have watched several times since it arrived on Disney+, and my feelings for it haven't changed. Bali is much closer to my personal experiences, having faint memories, being the older sibling, but I think my desire to see my dad, to remember him, they're a kind of combination of Ian and Bali together. I would do pretty much anything and that sounds so I'd do pretty much I would do pretty much anything to get the chance to see my dad again and I still do have the occasional conversation with him I still wish him a happy birthday I still say happy Christmas when I wake up on Christmas morning and I still wish him a happy new year living alone I tend to wish everybody a virtual happy new year anyway but I wish him a happy new year as soon as midnight strikes if I'm still awake and when I wake up in the morning if I've fallen asleep before the clock strikes midnight. Even though he's been gone for 35 years, I still keep him close and it's because he's a part of who I am and a part of who I want to be. I don't know if my memories of him are completely accurate. I was 11 when he died, but the person I remember him as being is one that I admire. So Onward, <laughs> to get off the depressing subject, Onward was the second film that I saw this year and it was my favourite. And to be honest, it remains the favourite even as I go through the rest of the year. Though, to be fair, everything else I've seen has been courtesy of streaming services 
thanks to the C word that I will not name. In March, the world started a descent into absolute shit. One day things were relatively normal and it was just wash your hands while singing happy birthday twice. The next it was don't leave your houses unless it's for an emergency. All of which means that cinema releases took a bit of a turn. That said, there is rarely a massive release list in March and this year was obviously no different. Though many of March's releases are now on streaming services, I haven't seen any of them. So we can skip the entire month. There were things like Military Wives and Fantasy Island. Oh, um, hang on a second. Oops. I did see some films that came out in March. Uh, quite sad that I forgot that I'd even seen anything. One of them was Bloodshot starring Vin Diesel. And the other was My Spy with Dave Bautista. I think that Bloodshot had the potential to be a really good film. Had the script been better? Well, uh, <laughs> talk about talk, saying the obvious thing. But as it was, it didn't seem to have much of a point. As for My Spy, well, it was sort of like a movie that could have starred and probably should have starred Dwayne Johnson, but didn't. I have absolutely nothing against Dave Bautista. In fact, I think that he's great as Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy. But this was a bit of a muddle of a film. Essentially, a precocious nine-year-old finds a CIA operative watching her home, and she blackmails him into teaching her how to be a spy. It had its moments, but it was overall forgettable enough that I didn't even remember watching it. April was, for the UK at least, the first full month of lockdown. Furlough, cinemas closed, and a ton of releases that either moved to streaming services or later in the year in the hopes that things were going to change. So that was it. At the end of April, the latest film by the Russo brothers arrived on Netflix in the form of Extraction, which starred a very hunky, as always, Chris Hemsworth. He played a mercenary who ends up in the middle of a war between two powerful drug trafficking gangs. Wow, try saying that fast. And in the process, he rescues a young boy who is in need of protection. There are loads of explosions, masses of loud gunfire, and lots of blood. I personally, I do enjoy action films. I mean, Die Hard's one of my favourite Christmas films. However, I have to be honest, most of this film was really forgettable. There is a bit of a possible twist at the end, but it's not anything significant. And I came away thinking, ah, okay. In a way, Project Power, which came out a lot later in the year, was just as insignificant. It has no plot line, the characters are very empty, and it didn't seem to have a point at all. So maybe Extraction was slightly better in the weighing up of things. May was supposed to be the month when Marvel's Black Widow came out, but of course, that was postponed thanks to you know what. Instead, it was a genuinely quiet month. And I spent the entire thing watching DVDs from my collection and reminding myself of why I love the TV show Leverage. In fact, I could gush about it for hours. It has a great ensemble cast, fun stories that combine happiness and laughter with more serious themes. And for all those mystery buffs out there, there is even an episode where the team turned their hand to solving the D.B. Cooper mystery. have to admit that until I'd seen this episode, I'd never heard of him. 
It was also the month when Charlize Theron starred as a not-quite-mortal assassin in The Old Guard. I watched most of it, and I have heard that it is incredible. But I think that my mind wasn't actually in the right place when I started watching it, so perhaps I'm going to have to give it another go in 2021. Who knows? In June, Disney Plus released another film. When I hear the name Kenneth Branagh, and I don't know about you, but I tend to associate him far more with Shakespeare, I think good classically trained actor before I think of anything else, including Gilderoy Lockhart and the director of Thor. So when I heard that he was going to be working on bringing a book series I have enjoyed for ages to the big screen, I felt quite positive that it would be good. Oh boy. Oh boy, was I wrong. Artemis Fowl was nothing like the books. The characters weren't the same. The plot wasn't the same. I have to be honest, while watching it, I was reminded of the disappointment that I experienced when I watched the first Percy Jackson film and didn't recognise the story they were telling or the characters they were using to tell it. I'm glad to say that it appears they won't be making a sequel, though I am also kind of sad that they didn't succeed in making a good film out of a good book. As you can already see, I watched so few films in the first part of 2020, and it didn't really get that much better in the second half. Though that's hardly surprising, given the fact that so many studios pushed back their release dates so far that they ended up in 2021. I'm looking at you here, Marvel. Seriously. An entire 12 months and six days? It seems that while things started to pick up a bit in July, that wasn't really the case. Disney Plus premiered Hamilton, which I still haven't seen, and isn't even on my watch list. In fact, the streaming service even removed their free trial before Hamilton arrived, which is a bit sneaky, but perfectly understandable, I guess. I liked August a little bit more than the few months before it, partially because of Lucifer. I mentioned this in a previous episode, but the day it was released, I watched the entire thing bar two episodes. And I was working that day as well, so I think I did pretty well. However, I am still waiting with bated breath. I'm not going to hold it because I think I'd have died by now, but I'm still waiting to find out when they're releasing the second part of season five because they've already announced that they are making or they have been making season six. It was also the month when Magic Camp premiered on Disney+. Plus. I found it purely by accident because I have been working my way through all of the shows that I was way too old to watch when they were on. And I didn't even have the Disney Channel at the time because it is a rather expensive add-on that you have to have purchased the films and, I believe, sport to get on our Sky satellite system. So I worked my way through The Wizards of Waverly Place, Jesse, Casey Undercover, Zack and Cody on deck, The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. I watched uh, Good Luck Charlie. You name it, I've probably seen most of it by now. And I'm an adult. But it's been really nice to have something quite easy to watch. In fact, before I started recording this, I was watching the seventh episode of the final season of Hannah Montana. And I've been watching that for the last three weeks. Anyway. So as I said, August was the month of Lucifer and also the month for 
Disney Plus's Magic Camp. Lucifer definitely took the award in that month. Though it was also the month when I watched Psych 2 Lassie Come Home, which premiered actually in July. However, being in the UK, I had to wait because we don't get Peacock. We also don't get HBO Max or Hulu or a multitude of other channels that are available in the US as streaming services. In fact, I think we're pretty much restricted to or limited to BritBox, which nobody in their sane mind would pay for, Netflix, Amazon, and Disney+. Plus. Anybody thinks of any others, let me know. In September, a well-promoted, a very well-promoted, in fact, Enola Holmes arrived on Netflix. I heard from my mum, my sister, my niece, one of my cousins, and several friends that it was amazing and so worth watching. And I love the cast. I mean, Henry Cavill as Sherlock, for starters, is enough to make you want to watch something. However, I still haven't finished it. I started watching it. I found it intriguing. I liked the story. I liked the characters. And then I just couldn't watch any further. It was like there was this kind of block in my head that went, nah, you don't need to watch this right now. So it's still on my watch list. It's still partially viewed. And I will get around to watching it at some point. Of course, (laughs) at the same time, Bill and Ted face the music, the very, very long-awaited third part of the trilogy for Bill and Ted came out. I still haven't seen that either. I've heard so many negative things about it that I don't know if I want my childhood ruined. We're going to skip over October and November as, to be brutally honest, very little has been released in cinemas the whole year. It's not just October and November. It's the entire year. Anything that is massive, for example, anything from Marvel or No Time to Die, the 25th James Bond film, they've all been pushed forward to next year. However, one studio did decide to release their films in the cinema. And that was Warner Brothers with their latest Wonder Woman film, WW84, which obviously is Wonder Woman 1984. They decided they were going to release that in cinemas globally and on streaming services in the US where cinemas aren't open, failing to acknowledge the fact that most cinemas globally are also closed because the pandemic isn't just happening in the US. Anyway, long story short, in the UK at least, Wonder Woman 1984 or WW84 will be appearing on streaming services such as Prime and Now TV from January the 13th, 2021, purely because our cinemas are now as closed as they are everywhere else. In fact, larger cinemas have been closed for quite a while as they determined that there was no financial value in opening their doors for potentially a few weeks before the government decided to close them down again. I've been lucky enough to see Wonder Woman 84. I personally didn't enjoy it. I find the DCEU films to be incredibly dark and dull in colour. And that takes away something for me. I like seeing vibrancy. There were two opening scenes. 
both of which didn't need to be in the film, neither of which I felt offered anything to the storyline. There were two villains, I think. And the biggest frustration I had with it all was, you're not a proper woman or you're not beautiful if you can't walk and jump and dance in heels. I thought this was a message of positivity. I can't walk in heels. I haven't got a hope in hell of standing on a pair of heels. And does that make me any less of a woman? Anyway, I'm not going to get into the whole, my whole issue with the entire franchise that is created by Snyder. I don't actually want to see Justice League again ever in any format. And I understand that there are loads of people out there who do. So I'm not dissing anybody. I'm not taking away from your enjoyment of anything. I'm just stating my personal opinion. I didn't enjoy it. I won't be watching it again. And I wish I could get the two and a half hours that were way too long back. I also watched Soul. I love Pixar films. Okay, Um, I haven't seen Toy Story or the three sequels that came after it, but I do enjoy Pixar. I think that Brave is beautiful to watch. I think Inside Out is stunning. Up makes me cry every time. We've already discussed Onward. There are so many films by Pixar that are brilliant. I just think that Soul lacked something. I didn't like the main character at all. I'm not sure if I was meant to. I didn't find myself crying over anything. And and that sounds really strange. But when I watch a Pixar film, I actually want to cry. I I have this need to watch something that is going to make me feel things. And I was hoping that Soul would be it. After watching Soul, I wondered if maybe I had misinterpreted something, misunderstood something, missed something. But halfway through the film, I'd lost interest and I ended up going to clean my kitchen. So when I came back, I rewound the film, watched what I'd missed and still didn't feel anything at the end. So I then switched on Inside Out, watched that and cried. And I realised it wasn't necessarily that the film was no good. It was just that it wasn't a film that switched on any feeling in me at all. I didn't like the characters. I didn't feel anything for them. And I love music. I found the main character incredibly selfish and self-absorbed. And I didn't like that. And I don't know if I was meant to like that, if I was meant to appreciate that he turned his life around and he realised that he'd had it really good. But he was, every single thing he did after he got this thing that he wanted made him into a really selfish human being. And I don't know why I didn't feel anything for him or for 22 or for any of the others. I was disappointed in myself for not feeling anything, but I was also disappointed in the film for not making me feel anything. And I think Pixar is very good at making you, whoever you are in the audience, feel something for their characters. They've done it in everything else. I've lost count of the number of people who've said, 
you've got to see this because it made me cry. Okay, <laughs> probably not the best recommendation of a film ever. But at the same time, if something makes you feel that much, you want to share it with people. Unfortunately, Soul just was not it. I'm glad that I got to see it. But I'm also glad I didn't pay to go and see it because I have for almost every other Pixar film that has come out, barring the Toy Story films. Please don't judge me that I haven't watched them. As well as watching films, I spent a lot of time with my Kindle when I wasn't able to sleep or I needed a desperate distraction from the news. I found new books and reread old favourites. There are loads of books that I really enjoyed and a few that I am happy to send to the bottom of a pit of stinky literature that I never want to see again. I'm sure everybody's had a few of those at some point. I have found some really good new books this year that will definitely be making it into my must read again list, including If You Could Go Anywhere and The Minute I Saw You, both by Paige Toon. Then I discovered a few new authors, including Erin Green and Sarah McLean. And of course, I reread so many old favourites that my shelves and my Kindle are pretty full. No joke, I think I've got 87 unread books on my Kindle by authors that I found this year. My rereads included Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, The Changeover by Margaret May, which I talked about a few weeks ago, Rock Addiction by Nalini Singh, and A Room with a View by E.M. Forster, which is one of my all-time favourite books. I read it for the first time when I was 14. Of course, with the good comes the bad, and there were a few books that I seriously struggled to finish, including the Wallflower series by Lisa Claypass, the Torpedo Inc. series by Christine Feehan, and a book by Melissa Pimentel called Age, Sex, Location. I tried with all of them, but I really do need to start recognising when I have to give up. I am currently reading a really good book that I'm enjoying called Compliance by Sam Hurley. You'll know him if you hear him, as he is one of the two amazing hosts of Movie Reviews and 20 Qs. And next week, he is going to be the first guest on the first episode of 2021. And he's going to be talking about his book, his writing, and hopefully his podcasting. As I've already said, this year has been hard for everybody. And I'm not going to say my suffering's been worse than anyone else's or Joe Bloggs down the road has had it harder than anyone because we're all kind of stuck in the same boat right now. And it's hard, it's difficult to switch off your brain occasionally. Sometimes sleep is difficult, sometimes waking up is harder. And I'm never going to say I understand exactly how so-and-so down the road feels or such-and-such such who lives upstairs is coping with everything because we are all different and we do all cope with things in different ways. For me personally, this year has been a shit show. That's not to say there haven't been a few good things. I have still got a job. I have been writing. I started my podcast properly. I have made some really good online friends. But then I also got diagnosed with 
two stupid immune disorders, my mental health issues decided to kick it up a notch after I finally got my medication back. I have been unable to go to the gym because of said immune disorders. Swimming pools are not the cleanest places, no matter what people tell you. And things have been stressful at work. I took on the role of three people when one was furloughed and one went on maternity leave at the beginning of this entire crisis. I worked myself fingers to the bone. And by the end of this year, I just wanted to collapse into a bed somewhere and I didn't get the opportunity to do so. I'm tired, yet when I go to bed, I can't sleep. And then when I wake up the next morning, I have a chronic headache because I haven't slept well enough. I have the weirdest dreams. In fact, I have one just last night, which I wrote down as soon as I woke up and it made me cry just to remember it. I can't find it in myself to relax properly. I feel insecure. I don't want to see people, but I don't like being alone. I'm confused and I need a change. I keep on looking to see if I can find another property to move into because while I've got an amazingly gigantic flat and I'm on all the bus routes and I'm right round the corner from a fantastic doctor, I don't want to live here anymore. I find it very difficult to concentrate. I keep on forgetting things. And I know that this is just one tiny element of my mental health disorder. And I know that it is something that will come and go as everything does. Like my psoriasis, which plays up really badly when I'm stressed. All these tiny little things contribute to one great big, I'm drained and I need a break and I need, I don't know what I need. All of this to say that I plan for 2021 to start looking forward with a positive outlook or at least trying to find a positive outlook. I am very lucky in that I have a roof over my head, I have a job, I have money coming in that covers my bills, that affords me the ability to purchase food. That means I can buy the occasional luxury. And I know there are lots of people out there who are far worse off than I am. And I understand that in the scheme of things, life is hard for everybody. So I guess my message is, please, if you need help, speak to someone. Send me a message on Twitter. Send me an email. I will listen. I do understand to a point. I have been in some very low places myself and no doubt will head back there again because I have no control over my disorder. It's not situational, it's chemical. So yay, thank you for that one. On the flip side though, and I have no idea why I use that term, there is hope for everyone. 2021 has potential. We're not quite there yet. And the more positive we think about things, the more chance there, are, there is that it will get better. So do what you need to cope. 
meditate, do yoga, go out for a walk, head to the beach. Of course, don't, don't go out of your tier if you're in tier three or four, which apparently everybody is now. Read a book. There are some amazing ones out there that really make you think. And there are some books out there that just make you feel. Do something that makes you yourself. Do something that makes you the person you want to be. And celebrate midnight on New Year's Eve with a glass of wine or water or Diet Coke or whatever you have to hand that you're going to celebrate with. But just know that this year we got through it. It was hard. It was painful at times. It was stressful all the time. But you did it. You're still here. You got through it. And that's all there is. So farewell 2020. Don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. Hello 2021. Please, please, please be better. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed the episode. I release a new one every single week so if you like what you hear why not share it with your friends and post a review on one of the many podcatchers out there like iTunes or Podchaser. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or over on Facebook at not before coffee podcast. Well I need another cup of coffee as I definitely haven't had enough And I might add some Baileys to it this time. So I'm going to go and put the kettle on. Until next time, in 2021 no less, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.